to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Digital Transformation is about so much more than technology. It's about refocusing on people and value. It's about leveraging technology to build more meaningful relationships and enabling and empowering our associates, building engagement and giving them the tools and opportunity to do what they do best and even do it better. It's about culture, relationships, and tools that can unlock customer obsession in an organization. It drives innovation and responsiveness that propels your organization and delights your stakeholders, creating and building relationships founded on value, creation, and delivery. We have Brad coming on. Brad Large. I love his last name because Brad is larger than life, a vet. He helps vets with getting technology jobs. He's a Salesforce developer by day. And as if that weren't enough, he and his buddies also do pro bono Salesforce implementation for nonprofits and help them get the software. So good on Brad. You know, larger than life, Brad, here he comes. Welcome to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Today, we've got Brad Large joining us to talk about Salesforce and some other interesting things. And we're super glad to have you with us, Brad. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, good to have you here, Brad. Um, this is Jay. Let me, I want to start off by getting you to really get introduced to our audience, Eric. So can you give us a bird's eye view of what does Brad do? All right. So, uh Brad is currently a, a marketing cloud developer for the Salesforce platform, Marketing Cloud, and also a Salesforce developer on pretty much all the clouds. So currently that's what I'm doing. I'm also moonlighting and trying to impact positively, hopefully, uh, nonprofits to leverage some of the tools that Salesforce gives out. So Salesforce actually is very supportive of nonprofits and gives them free licensing and such, but oftentimes they don't have the resources to implement. So I've been uh, reaching out and trying to do some implementations and, and help people uh, grow grow their missions, basically. That's that's good, Brad. So let me ask you this then. Do you do this independently? So are you actually, when you're doing this, are you looking and being able to gain new clients and then you do it for the clients? Or are these clients that are already bought into a system by some other party, if you were to Salesforce, and then you, do, you integrate the back office piece of it? So kind of both. So what I've been doing is uh, just some reach out to my network on, on LinkedIn, as well as uh, putting up websites so that people can see what I do and just reaching out the platform. Either they come through the account executives through Salesforce and buy the Salesforce product or they come upon it themselves and are really interested in implementing this kind of solution. Uh, and really what it does is it increases their customer engagement and Nonprofits are kind of interesting because they really have two or three audiences, whereas a lot of businesses, they might segment their audiences, but they really they have a target market, whereas nonprofits, they have volunteers that they have to keep engaged, donors, as well as the actual people that they're helping. So customer relationship management becomes a huge issue. What's gravitated you? You mentioned nonprofit twice uh, already. So what, what gravitated you and really made you feel like, hmm, this is a market I w- I'm really feeling connected with? Well, once I got into Salesforce, I realized that they're a very generous company. I was able to train myself for free over the course of six months. Not only that, but actually being a a veteran, they have a VetForce program out there. And so going through the VetForce program, I was able to obtain certifications for free. And so, you know, software development in general has been a community that's given a lot back to the community, I feel like. And I just really wanted to be a part of that. So 
finding people that I would, would be able to make an impact for and that might not have the means because it, it can't get expensive doing an implementation. So finding ways to give back, I think, is uh, just something that's been of interest to me. That's great, Brad. That is great. And by the way, thank you for your service. So appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And as Jay knows, you have touched on something that's really important to me and, and has been a focus for a number of folks that we've spoken with on the show, and that is nonprofit organizations. Nonprofits, I think, are one of the most underserved and one of the most important places where we can focus our resources. So, number one, thank you very much. I really appreciate that, that you're doing that. Because, you know, in the commercial world, if we do really well, we get more money to play with. But on a 501c3 or, or other nonprofit platform, that's not the case. In fact, it's usually kind of the opposite. The better they do, the less money they have to do their internal operations because they've focused their resources so much on, on their stakeholders and constituents. So being able to be so much more productive and better able to apply resources directly to their core mission becomes even more important to the nonprofits. And that's a platform that I really appreciate and like to get the word out there for. And to your point, a lot of times they don't realize what's available to them because of companies like Salesforce that, that offer those kinds of things. But uh, in, in no small part, that is difficult at best when they don't have the internal resources and capabilities. So when somebody like you that steps up, that is truly a professional in that field and provides that service to folks, you just multiply the value that you bring and, and that they're then able to accomplish with their mission. So that's a really important thing for me. And I'd like to understand a little bit more about what does that look like for a nonprofit? How do they find and get a hold of you? And, I think we've got a good clue so far that LinkedIn is a good way to do that. But how should they be prepared to engage you? And what does that look like? How do they prepare their organization to do a Salesforce kind of implementation or to expand that footprint? Yeah, I think you touched on some some really good points here. I think that one of the ways that nonprofits are really challenged is there is a lot of pressure to spend the money on people that they're they're trying to serve in the mission mm -hmm. and they're almost penalized for reinvesting i think that's a huge handicap on them to growing their organizations and going through digital transformations in that that regard because there's so much pressure to spend that money on the mission itself whereas the growing of the mission and impacting more people takes a back seat sometimes so it's very interesting and as far as nonprofit trying to to organize the resources that they do have, I think looking towards that relationship management. And like, like I kind of touched on before, they really have donors, they have volunteers, they have all these different relationships that they're managing. And that's exactly what uh, CRMs like Salesforce is, is built to handle. So a lot of times it's really uh, nonprofits coming into this when, when they're just getting started. It's kind of a shock to them because they're looking at Excel documents and different types of spreadsheets, and then we start talking about data and more technical things, you know, and it's kind of hard from the starting point of where a lot of nonprofits I've seen are, are starting at to get to the point that they're they're ready to kind of take on this kind of transformational project. But, you know, we're at a point in time where without that kind of technology leverage, it just becomes very difficult to even maintain the impact that you're having as a nonprofit. So, right. Yeah, and I think there's a couple things that we would remind nonprofits of. And, and one of the big challenges for a lot of organizations is this thought or expectation, whether it's 
in their conscious or, or subconscious that it's a technology play, that this is about implementing technology that will fix and solve problems for us. And the reality is, is that we really don't look to automate the existing mess, number one. And number two, that the technology, while it's critical, it is just one piece of a much bigger picture. One of the things that I love about Salesforce is that they are the folks, in my opinion, that really started the movement that has become what is really digital transformation. And that is using technology to create relationships with people on a personal level or, you know, something much more personalized than in the past, where in the past, you know, as a manufacturing organization, we might have, you know, four or 12, you know, SKUs or, or products that we offer and we expect to sell large volumes of those handful of products. Now that's completely flipped. We are providing very personalized relationships and services when we think about what happens with Amazon or, you know, any other business that has applied technology at the individual level for self-service, for fulfillment, and being able to address those issues, create the relationships and culture, and refocus on the value of an organization. Things like Simon Sinek's Golden Circle about making sure that we're real clear about who we are and why we are here, what's our core mission, and what are the things that we can and want to do in alignment with that. And so putting these tools in place enable us to take out some of the drudge work that goes into and has prevented us from being able to be at a very personalized level and being able to change that situation. So culture, what your processes are, and and refocusing on people and core values is a key part of this. Yeah, definitely. I've found that when I start talking to people, I get a couple of funny looks about halfway through the conversation because they're like, well, you're a developer, right? This is about technology. And really, I think that's the watered down version of digital transformation that as it's kind of come about and become more mainstream and people talk about it, some concepts get watered down. That digital transformation, when people think of that only as we're going to implement a new technology and that's going to transform us. (laughs) Well, really, if you're implementing the transformation, the technology are the tools that are going to help you. And so understanding the business processes, how you interact with volunteers, how you interact with donors. Do you want to target more major donors? What's going to drive that needle for you? And when the conversation gravitates towards that, I start getting people interrupting me saying, yeah, well, how, how is Salesforce fit it? And, you know, we can get into that. Like that's that's the technology enables you to do the, this goal setting. But the transformation, really, that's the hard work. That's the that's the work that you have to get into from the start and decide that you're going to make something happen. Right. Amen. Uh, absolutely. And, and that's really the point of this podcast is to help people see that the technology as interesting as it is. The capabilities that are being delivered are astounding and amazing and, and wonderful but they only go so far, and it's really around that last mile, if you will. Our customer experience uh, expectations are set today has been by folks like Amazon. We expect immediate access to a full range. We want to see a dozen choices. We need to know whether it's in stock or not. How is it going to ship? When am I going to get it? And I expect it, by the way, today would be great. Tomorrow is acceptable, and anything beyond that, forget about it. So 
Having the ability to think that way, act that way, and interact with our clients, our customers, and our constituents becomes really the key point of this, and the technology becomes an enabler. And once folks get that concept in their head, it really clarifies the rest of the work. And you can then focus on, this is important for us to do, and that is not, and therefore, while we've got a 100 things we should be doing, we we know which five we're going to focus on for right now. For sure. I think that the amount of leverage that you get from those digital tools is, is just insane. And when you think about the, the unique challenges that nonprofits are facing in huge numbers today, you have very established nonprofits that are doing worse than they were before. You have millennials who are a very generous generation, but nobody's really learning how to tap into that generosity. When you look at the numbers of what millennials are willing to give, But then you go back to the experience of it, right? Millennials want to know what they're giving towards. And so it's kind of uh, some of the established ways of nonprofits doing funding and justifying funding and doing fundraising and and that kind of thing. I think that there's a massive change in how nonprofits are going to need to operate to tap into the various ways in which people are willing to be generous and looking at their entire experience that they're offering the people that enable them to do their mission, whether it's donors or volunteers, I mean, the, like you said, people expect personal interactions. And if you are a larger nonprofit, then it's actually can be more difficult to make those volunteers and donors feel special. Whereas if you're a smaller nonprofit, then leveraging the relationships is what appeals to people, you know, makes them want to give of their time and money. So right. I think that that's kind of a spectrum there. And it's kind of like, you know, the, the bigger that you get, the harder it is to do that. The, the most powerful thing about a CRM, whether it's Salesforce or any other one really, is just being able to personalize those relationships and make sure that you're being inclusive, that you're including those, those difference makers, and you're empowering them to feel more connected and to make a bigger difference. That's what a lot of people are looking for. So Absolutely. In fact, we've got another episode that specifically addresses uh, millennials, Gen Z, and also veterans, and how those groups can become so special for an organization aligned with exactly what you were saying, in particular about this understanding and desire to be associated with something that's bigger than themselves, a very generous generation with some very unique skills and interests and capabilities that most business organizations and nonprofit organizations have yet to figure out and leverage. Meanwhile, folks that want to get a hold of you, folks that are in either leadership roles of nonprofits or board members or those folks who want to help get their nonprofit from where they are today to where they need to be, what's the best way for them to find you and to get the kind of help that they need? For right now, I'd say that my website, bradlarge.net, that's going to be one of the best ways uh, I have a contact form on my website mm-hmm. and then uh, my LinkedIn profile as well. You can always reach out to me on there. I'm always happy to have a conversation. Thank you very much, Brad. We sure appreciate your time and sharing this with us today. And we hope that you're able to help a lot of nonprofits. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate you having me on. It's been awesome. Uh- Hi, this is Andrew Kingery with the Whitestone Consulting Group. In the next 60 seconds, I want to inspire you to be more intentional and effective at creating value. I'm covering the 20 laws that govern value and creation, two at a time. The law of exchange is this. 
You cannot create value without an exchange of resources. Both parties to the exchange must commit resources, and resources are not limited to money. Value practitioners, people adept at creating value, have a complete view of the resources required in a value exchange. They see value beyond the financial costs. Financial cost is not equal to total value. Our next law is the law of perception. The law of perception says value is not created unless a perception was changed earlier. Did you know that you, yes you, have never changed your behavior except where your perception changed first? If you want to create value, others must not only be aware of what you are offering, but willing and able to adjust their perception. I'm Andrew Kingery, and this is Two Laws of Value Creation in 60 Seconds. If you want to learn more, head over to valuepractitioner.com. Standing on Shoulders, a leader's guide to digital transformation, written by Jack Marr and Carmen Diardo. On behalf of everyone who tries to improve the business outcomes of the technology work we do every day, I applaud the efforts taken and the writing of this book so others can replicate their amazing outcomes. This book fulfills the promise of documenting their journeys and lessons learned and showing how the promise of creating world-class technology organizations can be within the reach of everyone. Gene Kim. Get your copy of Standing on Shoulders, A Leader's Guide to Digital Transformation at Amazon.com or at Barnes & Noble or at your favorite bookseller. Great show going on here. We're going to talk to Phil. Phil's looking for a job. That's pretty cool. That is well, cool. You know, with his industry, there's enough people on this show that's going to be. So, <laughs> that's, you know, that is exactly right. And we want that to happen. Yeah, he's definitely putting out his resume here, which is good. So those people that are going to be listening to the show, you know, you got a potential high qualified candidate here that you may want to bring on to your team. You, know? you bet. I mean, yeah. he's, he's got it all. He has the depth and breadth from having been around the block and using current tools and very comfortable in open source and a collaborative environment, deep data skills. He is not going to be sitting around long waiting for something to do. Welcome to Digital Transformation with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. Today, we've got Phil Norman joining us, and we're going to talk about some really interesting things that are going on in the government space. Phil, can you fill us in a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah, so about six months ago, I was uh, turned on to Smart Columbus Data Enthusiast Meetup by a former colleague where I worked at OCLC, which is headquartered in Dublin, Ohio, that provides library services globally. I was sitting in this meeting and um, somebody was looking for volunteers for Smart Columbus Operating System Technical Working Group. I was a little tentative at first. I didn't really know if I could help, but I found that as I learned more, the group was very diverse, welcoming from many different companies from the tech community, and I really learned a lot from that. Then, as I worked with them, we were working on GitHub. From the first meeting, we decided that we would work together in a collaborative way, asynchronously and synchronously. And I found that since I had time on my hands, I was able to 
really contribute using my skills in research analysis and things like that and learn new ones. So I would learn about open source license evaluation, persona creation over the, the time period, and I was really able to contribute and I was recognized for the contribution and felt great. It's a great opportunity. And I guess most importantly, it opened my horizons to what's going on with the community. That sounds pretty impressive. So, Phil, let me ask you this question. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here with Jack here today, and obviously Jack's on the technical side. You know, I really want to help our audience tuning into this to find out what type of client or what type of scenario you can really make an impact in their business and in their ventures for. So, I really want to try to break it down to the simple, if you would. So, as a novice, if you would, who's not familiar with the term, so how would you break that down to me, and why would would they even need your services or some or some of the services you provide? So I'm speaking uh, on behalf of the Smart Columbus. Understanding that what Smart Columbus is, first, it's a project responsible to execute a $40 million grant won by the city of Columbus um, in 2016 by the U.S. Department of Transportation. In that context, the Department of Transportation wanted to make sure that the community was involved in giving recommendations and guidelines. So what my role is with, within this group is to provide those recommendations and guidelines that would be adopted because they develop open data platform that provides the services for the city. So my services could be used by a government agency is doing similar things. I could also help with uh, companies understand how to take advantage of those because really requires one of the components of smart cities is economic development. So entrepreneurs, nonprofits, existing companies can build their services on top of this. And they need to know about what's going on here, what the regulations are, what the concerns are about that you have to take care of in terms of security and things like that. So you develop the actual infrastructure as far as for them to be able to communicate, let's say, with the community, right? So they can get that feedback to execute the grant. Am I, am I, am I close there? Oh, so the technical working group provides the recommendations. So I'm a volunteer. It's important to say that, <laughs> that I'm a volunteer and I'm on a technical working group that's providing recommendations in order to build a platform upon which these services can be built. Got it. And then, and then who actually distributes that information? Who's responsible to distribute that information? Let's say you mentioned the community involvement. Then, and once that's all built, then is that, does that leave your hands or is that also part of the process that you work with, which is distributing that now to the community to get their involvement in it? So the, the recommendations, yeah, leaves, as far as my current role, it's after I make the recommendations, then I move on to the next segment which is so currently um, we're working on enabling the use of the open source. So there's a team of developers that are getting familiar with the, the platform, the technology that it works with, and then to help to support that community because it has OS uh, open source has to take off. Right. So let, let me actually uh, bring a little more to this, Jay. It turns out that Phil and I actually met and we realized just a day or two ago that a picture that I had posted on Facebook about the Smart Columbus Initiative has Phil in that picture. And it's an interesting way of accomplishing some pretty important objectives for the Central Ohio community. This grant 
pretty big deal, as uh, Bill mentioned, from the Department of Transportation. And it's in a way to enable constituents to access data and also for nonprofit organizations and other partners to contribute the data and the services that, that can be provided that way. So some examples of how this data is being aggregated and the services are being provided through the Smart Columbus operating system include things like integrating the food bank and the ability to, to provide folks that need food and also other services. So also to be integrated will be things like access to low-income housing or transportation capabilities for neonatal care for uh, underserved folks. So it's a, it's really bringing the accessibility and uh, the information to folks that need it the most and a way to be much more efficient in providing these services to folks so that the, the tax dollars that fund a lot of this, you know, post-grant are used as efficiently as possible and provide the best possible services. So it's a really super thing. There are a lot of us that are volunteering. There are also companies that have been engaged that are very high level quality folks. They're very used to navigating in this kind of a space in the government space and grants and dealing with uh, the ways that government operates, which is very different from the way businesses operate. So it was really cool when when Phil and I realized that we were actually in that same meeting where we were looking at the personas and the services and helping to identify what would be the things that are the most important from our perspective. It's a really interesting and neat opportunity that uh, provides a ton of services and flexibility and options for folks. So, Phil, let's let's talk a bit about the technical working group. I've only been in a couple of those meetings. My role has predominantly been on the, the policy and privacy side. Can you tell us a little bit about how this uh, has evolved from the, the six months? And again, this is a program that's ongoing and uh, there will still be some significant highways. So if other folks want to get involved, going to the Smart Columbus website is pretty easy to find. But, you know, understanding how these different technology bases come together, maybe you can help us with what that looks like for folks so that we know who could participate and identify some of the skill sets that, that you've brought. And, and if there are any that we know of that still uh, would be useful and we don't have, you know, is there anything in that space? There are three month segments, as you know, I think, and they're they're different. So it's it's variable. So the first segment had to do with uh, recommendations for open source. The Department of Transportation mandated that anyone could use this software so it could be created to be used by other cities or different applications could be added by anyone. So we had to uh, analyze that. And so I didn't really have those skills, but I researched them and learned them. So, and then was able to actually bring the questions forward to the group as to you know, what 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 would work, and we settled on Apache 2.0. But the way we worked was, um, as I mentioned, through GitHub is very collaborative. We created issues for things we wanted to talk about. We had a project project deliverables, but the way we tackled them was wiki pages, documents, and interaction through the issues and using Slack a lot. Um, some of the skills the people brought, we had people that were actually working on developing this data platform. And we had people in um, other local companies that had different skills 
in infrastructure. Um, we had people on, involved from the city project, all different roles. That most of the people involved were very interested in learning and coming together as a team and producing a result in a lightweight way. We didn't really need a rules of conduct because we just kind of understood how to work together and came up with a great way of working that got a lot of good good press from from the sponsors. One of the things that is is critical to this is a couple of points that I'd want to dig into here. Number one, you came to it with a, a significant knowledge base, which enabled you then to catch up with some of the technologies that were new to you in this particular initiative. And the fact that you guys are using some new tools and working in a very collaborative way is a great way of getting more folks involved and doing it in a way that is contemporary with the tools. So you mentioned Slack, for example, or, or GitHub. Uh, I also love that you guys um, have done this with open source uh, tools and, and applications. And, you know, Jay, we're going to have to talk about that in, a, in a, an upcoming podcast here pretty soon. But those are all, you know, very contemporaneous ways of leveraging technology that's most efficient and it's a way that people want work moving forward. So that helps us attract new talent and bring more folks into this conversation. And you know, over, overall, everybody wins because these are all about how we can better serve our community with the services and information that we need. And you know, kudos to you for, for spending the time and, and digging into that. Thank you very much for your service Definitely. to the community. And the, and the ability to be able to break it down like that. Thank you very much for that, Bill. So that pretty much wraps us up. Is there any last soundbite that you'd like to, to leave us with, Bill? Well, just that, again, this is a, even though it's a smart Columbus, it can be used by other cities, either accessing it or creating their own version. And it's something that's important for leaders in many different segments. So nonprofits, profits, whatever. If they want to get into this, it's a great market. $1.2 billion, I think, by uh, 2022. So if you're interested in learning more about it from any perspective, if you know, for example, if Elixir, which is the programming language it's being developed in and are interested in open source, or if you're a entrepreneur, to get involved, you can go to smart.columbus.gov slash connect. And if you want to learn more about the data platform, you can go to smartcolumbusos, one word, dot com. Super. Thank you so much, Phil. And I'm thrilled that the, the city of Columbus and the central Ohio area are in a leading role on this. So thank you very much, Phil. Thanks for having thank me, Phil, Jay. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, Jay. And thank you to all of you for sharing this with us. See you again here real soon. Are you leveraging social media in your integrated marketing campaign? LinkedIn has the richest demographics on the planet, enabling you to connect with and build relationships with an audience that is probably looking for you. Let's use a laser focus and get right to the point. We can advise you every step of the way or even do it for you. Drive growth through high-quality personal relationships with your prospects and clients the way you've always wanted to. You can find us at standingonshouldersmedia.us or click on the link in the show notes below.